Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. Give you more deets later on that big giveaway starting Monday morning. An exciting one. Good morning. It's Friday, 1850 715 996. The number, as always, text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. If you were listening yesterday when we were talking about bullying, I was wondering would we get a reaction? I was wondering would we get somebody's personal story? Listening for Naomi in about 15 minutes. I was just sitting there and he came in and he just broke down in tears. He just showed me the phone and it was absolutely horrific. And it was relentless. We'll be checking in also with what's happening in the United States. Dear God. The process is working. The count is being completed. And uh, we'll know very soon. We think there'll be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen like this. What is going on between the two old guys fighting over the White House? That's all to come. That's throughout the course of Friday's opinion line. But first of all, the schools have now been back since the start of last week or the Tuesday. Back since Monday, are they back? Yeah, back, 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 back since Monday. Because my kids don't go to school anymore, I don't kind of keep that good track of it. But they've been back a week now. And I reckon we should probably check in with the schools to kick off this morning. Uh, Seamus O'Connor has been on me before. He's principal of Skullvreda in Crosshaven. How has it been since going back, Seamus? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, I, I guess, to be very honest, it's been a successful week in the sense that everyone was delighted to get back in. Um, I, I suppose there was a lot of trepidation, particularly for parents, just the week of the midterm before. the, And a lot of schools, including ourselves, sent, book, sent the books home just in case, you know. Um, but I suppose the, we, we were in a position on Monday where we were able to open and open relatively safely or as safely as can be at the current environment. And um, yeah, it's been a success, you know. I've spoken to a lot of parents in before, before and after the uh, midterm, just various things making them nervous, um, you know, making them fearful. And the schools doing their absolute best. And you'd hope that they're getting the, de- the backup they need from the department. Take your own case. Are you getting the backup you need? Well, from where we're at, on a, on a positive, there was a lot of sound bites and there seemed to be movement at stakeholder level in relation to creating a, a more open and tangible system of, 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 of in rela- with the public health um, data. 
And I think that's key because one of the key, one of the major fears within schools for teachers is that we're aware on the ground of the numbers of cases and we're a number of schools that are having difficulty with COVID cases, but that doesn't seem to be reflected both in media briefings and in the media in general. So I know that there has been a series of discussions at stakeholder level whereby there's a succinct team being put in place to help with schools. And anecdotally this week where schools and colleagues of mine have been dealing with public health, there seems to be a, an increased level of understanding of what the pressure is there. Um, look, PJ, I was on with you on Friday the 16th of October and I discussed there about needing clear messaging to assist schools and um, from a, a, and two things I looked for on top of that was um, was the HSC inter- intervention with the HSC that they're more aware of our situation. I think that is, is happening. And the second thing was staffing and that hasn't happened and that's deeply worrying still, I suppose, here for us. It's, it's still a major problem. Um Again, as I said to you before, and I'll say to your listeners, there were 200 additional teachers given to supply panels for 3,200 schools across the country. We're in the unfortunate position as a school that we're not part of that one of those of the supply panels, even though there's two in our locality, one in Cove and one in Passage. And um, we're not, as a school, we haven't been invited into those um, supply panels, and that's still a concern. In simple um, terms, that's a massive shortage of, of subs when you need is, them. It is, yeah. And, and look, I mean, I go back to my original point about the care messaging and, and the leaders and stakeholders taking this situation by the throat and, and kind of guiding us. They haven't in the sense that look at the sanitizer issue that arose there during the midterm. It's deeply frustrating and, and, and disconcerting that the department had one role in relation to the sanitizing products. And this, this, this did, just didn't relate to the sanitizer itself. It relates to masks. It relates to cleaning projects. You know, the, the whole array of um, I suppose sanitising for schools, the whole array of products, and to think that over 50 of them, of a list of 114, had to be withdrawn, you know, it's hugely disconcerting. And in any other walk of life, if that happened in the private sector in particular, heads would roll, and it's disappointing that realistically it was all left to schools to sort out, and there hasn't been a lot of, I suppose, repercussions since, you know. Yeah. You've been let to swim on your own a bit, really. We have, yeah. And TJ, again, you're dealing with, I mean, here in my in my school, you're looking at 229 faces plus their families. That's a huge responsibility. And, you know, the department were tasked with and were supposed to provide an adequate list of, um, sort of resources that were supposed to support the schools here. And they had to withdraw. I think the sinister element of it that I was concerned over was that schools were told that we had to withdraw the items because um, they were dangerous to be in schools. And then the next day, the minister was on in the media saying, well, actually, no, we're withdrawing them because they don't have the, 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 the appropriate approval, but they're actually okay. Like, those kind of mixed messages are exactly what schools don't want. Now, we were lucky here. We stayed local. We used a local supplier. We didn't use the PP, or the OPG system, and, and that, that stood to us in the end, you know? Yeah. Certainty is in short supply, I think it's fair yeah. to say. It is, and look, it's a, it's a widespread problem across all spheres at the minute. It's not just in education, and I, th- I think that's my role at present here with the, in conjunction with the staff and the board is to try and ensure that the school is, is open and functioning. As I said before, it seems that schools are the last line of defence of the Irish economy at this point, and, and we'll accept that. Um, and I think, you know, there is a huge... There, there, there is a lot of very good and very decent work being done in schools to keep them open and people are really trying their best and I think there's a greater understanding of the parent bodies across the board in the country at the minute of how hard schools are working and here in our own area I think our parent body really appreciate that you know um, you're probably not aware T- PJ I spoke to you on Friday the 16th and I told you with two two staff members at that point who were ill yes. um, 
my concern that day when I spoke to you was that the rest of my staff, so uh, the 13 full-time staff and a secretary, eight of us were put out, two were positive and six were put out as close contacts and there were six left and I was concerned that they weren't tested. Anecdotally, one of them ended up being, one of the, one of the, or of the six who weren't tested um, got uh, received a test because of a family situation and she proved to be positive as well. Right. Now, the problem there was that that was an elongated week where we didn't have all the information at the right time. Now, I believe that has changed since that possibly um, in schools, particularly in a school our size, um, where um, a couple of cases arrive, particularly with the adults, that all of the adults will be tested. And I hope that will come to fruition. But look, I would You would think, it, would you not, Seamus, yeah. that that would be a basic... It, it should have been. It should have a been, been a basic Teacher thing. tests positive. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can keep the children apart in their little homes yeah. all day long, but teachers yeah. meet in a staff room, they meet in a corridor, they meet yeah. and they talk to each other. It's part of the normal day. You would think, would you not, that if one well, teacher tests positive... The whole teaching staff should be tested. That would that was my argument, and that was my board's argument. We 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 and in fairness to public health, they listened to us, and we we had an exchange on it, and and they had their criteria, and that was fine. But at the time, we, you know, I I was quite adamant that it wasn't it wasn't appropriate for our environment. If you have an office environment, PJ, or you take your radio station there, um, if you have thirteen, which you don't, if you have thirteen or fourteen individuals within a, a certain area and one test positive, everybody will be tested at that point. Yeah. And it's, again, as I said, my wife is a nurse, and in her teams, if one of the team tests positive, all of her team is out, be that a team of six or a team of fourteen, and rightly so, and I have no mm. problem with that. Well, here here on the top floor at Broadcasting House, which is the only floor that's open, there's about eight or nine of us using the place on on a daily basis. And I imagine if one of us was misfortunate enough to test positive, we'd all have to be tested. Yeah, or at the very least, if you weren't, um, you can imagine the bit of trepidation that that would add into your, your, your next day going in. And that's what my staff had to face. So the, the following Monday when we opened up on the 19th, it meant that we only had um, three staff members on site out of 14. I was sorry, four, including our school secretary, out of 14. So we opened with six substitute teachers and two substitute SNAs. And we, we carried that for the rest of the week. Now, in fairness, it's a sign of diligence, again, on the part of my staff that, and communication that we were able to assist the substitutes that came in. But that was a very awkward situation that we were in. But we got through it, and that's fair. Um, the difficulty was that, you know, from a staffing perspective, if we had extra staff allocated at the start of the year, as I've been asking every time I've been on with you, um, at least it would have alleviated some of that burden. We ended up, and we were fortunate that we found additional subs. Um, we had to bring them from Butterbent, from Yall, from Clondrahead. You know, you're drawing them from all parts mm. of the country. Uh, and that took time to organise. Um, and I guess on top of that, you know, um, it, it, again, it's important to emphasise that we are keen and very keen at that to keep schools open. It is a necessity at this point for the children and we understand that but the, the it, it, I just hope going forward for the next few weeks while we're still in the middle of the level 5 that any school that's in our situation will be treated slightly differently. Are we any closer to something that I've heard a lot of uh, teachers and principals asking about Seamus and that would be a dedicated phone line for dealing only with the schools in the local public health units so that if you yeah. have a problem you have a number to call a particular person or persons to ask for and they say that's fine Seamus we'll take it from here yeah I, I believe it's part of the overall review that was conducted between stakeholders and, the, and and public health and the department of health over the midterm I'm not sure if that's come to fruition yet um, to be Seems fair, like a very, very much a basic, doesn't it? 
Well, it's something that you'd think that if, if proper... <laughs> this goes back to the department and the minister claimed that there was succinct and clear guidelines and, and dedicated planning went into the reopening of the school in September. And, you know, the likes of myself and others would say there was a serious shortfall in that planning. And here is another element that should have been planned for. There was no worst-case scenario planned for. There was no, there was no succinct line put in place for schools. To be fair, and again... There's an awful lot of suckers in sea going on, I think, is fair to say. I believe it's fair to say that, yeah, and that's my experience. However, in here in Cork, we have an, an 021 number that I was able to ring, and to be fair, it was always picked up, and I always had somebody come back to me from public health within two hours, so that's been my experience. So I'm lucky. However, I do know across the country that has not been the experience for principals and schools. Finally, and it, it's not about to do with your own school, but you, you, you may have come across the, this happening in primary schools we took a call yesterday from a very upset parent where yeah. in her child's primary school, one of the teachers had literally been removed because the there and then, in the middle of the term, because the school numbers dictated such. So all of the pods, there was now twice as many pods in one room as there had been before. I thought all of the teacher allocations were sorted before the doors opened. Oh, PJ, you're opening a can of worms here with me. Have you, have you two hours? Have you two hours? I'll give Look, you two minutes. Drive PJ, on. Yeah, I understand. Um, a lot of the schools that were short, so if you're, you haven't, so in our case, we ha, are, we're at 229. 226 gives us an additional teacher for next year. If we go below 226, we, we lose a teacher, okay? So um, it, it all, it's based on the 30th of September numbers. So if you are unfortunate, if you're a school that's one or two short, you will lose a teacher at the start of the year. Yeah. So you you you're on two, you three out of two two nine, is it? Sorry, if you if you're if you're one pupil below two two six, or in or it depends. There's succinct numbers that gives you the number of right. teachers. So in my case, I'm over two two six at the minute, so I keep my allocation for next year. Um, and then when I come to next September, I won't lose a teacher. If I go below two two six, even by one, I lose a teacher. What? So that will happen. Across, that is happening. And also, do you know? What? My sorry, Seamus, sorry. No, this yeah. is a small bit of disbelief going on here. Yeah, the loss of one pupil will lose you a teacher. Correct. 100%, and that has always been the case. But it, there are, like, this is where schools have been appealing, in particular in, with the current climate, that we should, this should be waived for this academic year and addressed again in the following year. But PJ, I put in for two SNAs. Look, let's go back to the, the exceptional review and the SNA discussion. As you know, there was a huge furore with the previous minister, Joe McHugh, just before he left. There was a new model that they were going to bring in, and um, he said, no, we're going to pause that. And you can apply for your SNAs as per usual for this year. And they, they brought out in May what was called the Exceptional Review. Now, I applied for two SNAs under that. I've been denied, denied and denied. Right, so I'm short two SNAs. I have 11 children who currently don't have access to an SNA who have bona fide reports and, and, and it should be sanctioned. And to this point, I haven't been sanctioned the SNAs. So again, when I'm talking about additional staffing, the department have fallen down completely in relation to in a time of an emergency both providing additional staff to schools, allocating additional subs, and when it comes to actually having requirements in relation to the number of staffing you should have, be it staff or SNAs, sorry, teaching staff or, or SNAs, that hasn't happened. There's okay. been a pause on that too. All right. it's, it's, it's a mess in many ways, but look, I wish you well with it. And again, Thank I think you. you're anxious to stress, Seamus, you yeah. want to be open, you want we to do. be teaching. We do. And thank you, PJ, for the, the support. You've been very fair in, and balanced over the last few months in relation to how you're reporting the school's issue, and we do appreciate that. We've done our best. Thank you very much, Seamus. Much appreciate that. Seamus O'Connor, Principal of School of Reader in Crosshaven. That just tracks back to the conversation, was it yesterday, 
we had that very upset lady on the phone. Her daughter is nine and was going into a class with, they had three pods in the class and everything was grand and hunky-dory and how's your father? And then one teacher, because the numbers changed, one teacher just gets finished up on a Friday. Now there's six pods where there were only three. And then Seamus tells, now look, I've probably been told this before. So he's got 226 kids in Skullvreda. That's a lot of children. That's a lot of pupils in a, in, a, in a school in a small town. If he loses one pupil, one pupil, he loses one teacher. That's crackers. And particularly in the middle of a pandemic. Big, 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 big. Our next big giveaway. Guarantees fun and play for all the family. Find out Monday at 8.15 a.m. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. I see Councillor John Maher in the North East Ward has tweeted about getting a parliamentary question raised regarding the school who lost a teacher. That may well be the school we were talking about yesterday. Obviously, we're keeping everything confidential with regard to our caller. But that may well be the case. It's going to get raised in the form of a parliamentary question where a teacher was taken from a class at such a time in the middle of a pandemic which caused the class size to be doubled at a time when to smaller classes we need not bigger ones. John Maher is going to raise that uh, through, I think, Sean Sherlock as a parliamentary question. 1850-715-996. Yesterday on the programme we were talking about International Day Against Cyberbullying and I spoke to Professor James O'Higgins Norman about the fact that it was the first International Day, about the prevalence of cyberbullying, about the fact that so many people are bullied by somebody that they know, uh, not a stranger, that it's pervasive, it is around the clock. They've done surveys as well. They said that even during the lockdown it went up because even though the schools were closed, people were still being bullied on their phones, on their tablets during the lockdown. And they had a statistic which made the news that they had a huge number of kids who actually actively said they'd been bullied in the last three months. We talked about it. Uh, We got a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls and a lot of texts We've read them all, we've been through them all, and thank you very much for taking the time. It's a sensitive subject. It's something that a lot of people will be very uncomfortable talking about, and certainly they'll talk all day to you off the air, but they don't necessarily feel confident enough to tell the story on the radio, which is why I was particularly grateful uh, to hear from Naomi. Naomi, you rang yesterday in response to our conversation about bullying on the show. Your own son was a victim of bullies for a number of years. He was. It was horrific. He was never a sporty child. He was more into giving a bit of technology and he'll take it apart and figure out how it works and puts it back together. And unfortunately, he went into class. You were all very sporty. And from then, he didn't really mix at all. There was a lot of isolation and he wasn't allowed to take part in a lot of stuff, but he dealt with that. And then when it came to choosing his second school, he chose to go to a a school miles away from anybody that was going to the local schools around here. 
So I thought, fantastic, it'll give him the brand new start, get, get his confidence up. And it re- like he really did for the first couple of months. And he met friends exactly, and they're all into computers and engineering and everything like that. He found his own group. Yeah, he found his, he found his own little niche. He loved this. And then I noticed that he just went very, he just went rapidly downhill and, yeah, it was. Uh, he just went very quiet and went into himself, which isn't our. We're there's only me and my son, so we're very close and we talk about everything. There's no secrets. And anyway, this went on. And what did you say? He was he was going into himself. He was becoming distant. Is that it? Yeah, it was. It just wasn't him at all. And if it's the up to men, I had. I was going into his phone and checking messages and making sure and then the PlayStation. But I just thought, because he'd met new friends, it had all stopped, which is, I suppose, quite normal. And then all of a sudden, one day, we were just... I don't remember, I was, I was just sitting there and he came in and he just broke down in tears. And he didn't say anything, he just showed me the phone and the messages that was being sent through PlayStation and it was absolutely horrific. So he was he was playing his PlayStation, but they were messaging him through the PlayStation. Yeah, it was horrific. And then what you see, what they would do then is they would then invent a different account and come at him again. They would just a different accounts all the time. There was the uh, Snapchat. It was it was relentless. Explain how the PlayStation thing works, because parents would wonder, God, can my child be bullied through the PlayStation? How did that work? Well, see, I didn't realise that you could set up different accounts and different names. I was probably me being naive. It was like Facebook and everybody would only have one account. But you could go in and make all these different accounts and that's what they just kept on doing and it was relentless. What kind of stuff? It was basically because I'm... He has no... We have no contact with the father, never has. And basically he was... It was horrific. They basically came after me saying I was a slut and the father was... Oh, it was horrific. I can't even say it in the phone. But they basically went after him because he was fabulous. And the dad didn't want him because he was fat and gay. And nothing about being fat or gay, but they just honed in on that fact. It was horrendous. And how long did this go on for? Well, you see, I didn't realise I got that... About six months previously, they called to the door. And I was delighted that this boy... My son didn't know the other child that came to the door. This is the interesting part. And I did. I thought they were asking him to go out. And I was like, look, sure, go out with them. And I'll give you a couple of quid to go down to shop and stuff. And I noticed then his feet were kind of twitching. And I could see he was very nervous. And I said, actually, no, look, I've just remembered you have to do this. And he closed the door. And he went, thanks for that, mum, and walked off. But then he told me when all this bullying was coming up, it was they wanted to come. They he, they basically wanted him to come outside to fight. And it was a youngster that he considered a friend and you thought was a friend was actually the ringleader. Oh yeah, sure ringleader. That's exactly what the research we were talking about on the program was saying. Yeah, it was horrific, and apparently. Like, I know bullying happens because there's, there's, there is deep down issues, but I just couldn't believe it was him. And I've actually looked at, I looked after him a couple of times. Like, it wasn't, he's not a stranger to me either. You knew the kid? Oh, I knew the kid. I took him down to the beach and everything to go swimming and playing tennis. Crikey. 
So once you knew this was happening, obviously a parent's first instinct is do something about it. So what did you do or what did you try to do? It was horrific. I phoned my son's school and told them exactly what was going on and they were fantastic. But they couldn't do anything because it didn't happen on the school property. So after the investigating through all the messages, I noticed that there was a picture of the boys. Somebody else had taken a picture of the boys texting one of the horrific messages. And because I was able to see that it was during the school time and I was able to see lockers behind them, that then I was able to go to their school because it happened on their premises. Right. So you went to the other lad's school and how did that yeah. go? It was... At the start, they couldn't really do anything. And basically, I showed them the messages. And because they were threatened to come beat me up and my son back up again, and oh, it was awful that he, they just... I think he actually did it out of kindness to us, to me. Headmaster at the school said, look, we know these parents, and would you mind if I passed your number on to them? And I went, yeah, no, that's fine. And... So I got a phone call later on and one of the mums was so upset and it did turn out that he did, there was other issues in the background, but we had the most nicest chat. The two lads then spoke to each other. He was able to get all the emotions out. It was fantastic. And like till this day, they actually still talk on the PlayStation. So it was good for them to talk about it, but there was another parent who then ended up coming to my door and threatening me with solicitors. And Why were they threatening you with a solicitor? You had screen grabs, you had printouts, and said, this is what your boy is doing to my boy. What are you going to do about it? Oh, they were saying that somebody stole his phone. Right. I had no proof. They kept us kept on saying that somebody else had signed in their account. Which I can, I can see that as a big massive way out of it. But what I don't understand is why I can't, like, I just don't understand, like, mental health and everything and the teenagers doing awful stuff because of it. It's just, it's beyond me. And then when I went to the guards, they were so unhelpful because they didn't have a clue what to do. What did they say to you? They were just, oh, oh, uh, basically, it's nothing really to do with us because if... If he was walking down the street and they punched him, they would do something. But because it was online and there's no evidence of it, they couldn't do it. And I was like, but I have screenshots. <laughs> yeah. But they couldn't prove that it was him that sent them. And basically all I could do, he sent me away, and all I could do was report the accounts to PlayStation. Right. And did you do that? I did it, but sure all it did was ban them for... I don't, even, I don't even think they got banned. I think it was just a, a warning to say we don't appreciate these type of messages. It sounds to me that nobody is taking this as seriously as they should, or very few people at least. I don't, I don't think they actually realise what it's actually like to get it 24-7. Like, I even saw, they were adding, like, making all, again, I'm making different accounts in Snapchat, and then inventing these homo homophobic like groups and blah blah blah. Oh, no. It was horrific. And how did he feel about all of this? How 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 was it affecting him? 
I think he was so upset because he left the area to go to a different school and he couldn't get away from it. But my son, he's very good as we've always talked because I've always kind of felt because the father isn't figure isn't there. I knew he was going to get picked on somewhere along the line. So we've always had that type of relationship where we kind of talk about a comment being made and you're like, well, look, if they made that, it's, they're taking the mickey out of you or, oh, why is he saying Do we discuss everything? So I think after it all, when it was going on, he, I just kept him off school for about two or three days and just spent loads of time with him. I, th- I think you wanted to highlight to other parents... Look, be aware of this. It, it mightn't have entered your home, but be aware of it. Oh, it's in, it's in everybody's home. What'd you think? I hundred. I've seen so many issues. People talking about Snapchat, everything because you can't see it and it disappears. And people are getting mobile phones and everything, and they're not looking at it. It is everywhere and I, I put my hands to heart because of the amount of people I've actually talked to and they've said yeah we've got this or he's being kicked out not allowed to play with the rest of the people it's horrific and what if anything do you think can be done about it all the rules and regulations don't seem to be worth anything if, if no one's doing anything about it I, it's, I, don't, I just wish people would accept responsibility and I do believe that if the children are young enough that the school should actually be pulled in on it yeah. The idea that the school might say, well, it happened outside school hours or it happened off the premises. Is that an easy cop-out for schools? Yeah, totally. But even teaching the children about the... Like, there was... What absolutely horrified me was when this was all going on, um, a young boy in the UK was getting bullied online and one day he put down his bag and he just walked in front of a train because he couldn't escape from it. And I don't think people are actually... I think people just think it was like bullying our day that we just got beat up and you got up and rubbed yourself off and tried to carry on. It's just relentless. How is your son these days? He's okay. They keep popping up doing different stuff, but he knows... I'm, I'm actually doing something. I'm very proud of him. And I'm very proud that, I, that even if the other chap that came around and kind of apologised, I'm very proud of him to actually admit that he was wrong. Yeah. And they're friends now. Yeah. Which I think is brilliant. Because they were able to talk about the both of them. The thing is, both of them had issues about it. Like, they both had problems going on in the background and they talked it through. And yeah, I take my hat off to them. I think if everybody could be like them be in a better place really sounds to me like you've got a fine young man there I'm actually so proud of it and that's why I was so glad when I was listening to it. I just want parents to realise that it's there every child is probably going to get it experience it but they just need to learn don't buy your son an iPad or a Playstation if you don't have a clue how to use it and of course we're coming up to Christmas now and iPads will be bought and Playstations will be bought. Exactly. Is it, is it kind of our job as parents to, to learn what these things can do and, and learn the way they can be abused against our kids? 110%. But I don't think... Nobody really thinks about that. They don't. They don't. And it's, it's horrific. It's just... But like, even if we just teach our children what how damaging it is how it's gone from physical abuse to mental abuse is beyond me. It, there are, it's 
changed a whole different game and it's just people need to talk to children Okay, well you've joined and hopefully continued the conversation and thank you for doing so Well I'm here and if anybody wants a bit of help I'm here it's a, it's a, very, it's a very hard situation to be in, terrific Thanks a lot for that, take care now Okay, thanks TJ That's Naomi, very brave lady and it's all come out right Right so far anyway in her house and I think it's down an awful lot to her her willingness to engage with her boy and her ability to engage with her boy which is a, a tribute to her as a parent Meek says there's only one way to tackle a bully and that's to get a kid the bully's age to talk to them in the physical language they understand you know what Mick that'll probably end up causing more problems than it solves I see where you're coming from it used to be the old way I claim ya and you'd be baiting each other out the back of the bike shed, that doesn't work anymore. The PlayStation is one of the worst places for bullying. I hear this comment, your mam is dot, 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 a lot. They think it's funny, but it's horrible behaviour, says one caller. Kate wonders if the young lad who was bullied can change all of his systems, like logins and usernames on the PlayStation, so the bullies can't find him. He could probably, but there's two problems there then, Kate, That one, uh, the one being that the people who normally play with him regularly that don't bully him, they can't find him either. And secondly, why should he change? If he changes, they win. On school class sizes, my granddaughter was in a class with 13 children. I'm assuming this is before the uh, lockdown. My granddaughter was in a class with 13 children. When she went back, there were 30. Wow. 1850-715-996. Coming up later, the business community is up in arms today over a proposed hike in water charges. It's on the front page of the paper. Uh, water charges to be hiked in the new year for business customers. And they're far from happy. You can kind of see why, can't you? That's coming later. During the last lockdown, I still had some great friends going into the house. It's not going to be any different this time around. Yeah, like, you really need good company when you're in lockdown. Friends are everything. They're my friends, so regardless of lockdown, isolating, distancing, whatever, like, we still be spending time together. I want you closer. At a time when we all need to socially distance. People are keeping Cork's 96FM really close. The power of local radio has never been more prominent. And here's the proof. 247,000 people listen to Cork's 96FM on C103 every week. Source, JNLR Ipsos MRBI 2023. I think I'd be lost in the mornings without Casey and Ross. Yeah, PJ on the opinion line keeps me up to date with everything Cork. Be part of Cork's biggest social bubble. Stay listening to Cork's 96FM. Hashtag choose radio. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, nice comments still coming in about Naomi. I think it's a call that a lot of people can resonate with or can. Uh, can identify with. My mother and father raised me not to take bullying and to attack them back or they'll do to other people and they mightn't be able to take it. The other people, that is. Unfortunately, a lot of kids nowadays don't listen to their parents. When they're bullies, bullied, 
they cope with it by becoming a bully themselves. Paul says, what a lovely, brave lady. Fair play to her talking about it. The very best to her and to her son. And on Twitter, Kevin says, there's a strong argument for Snapchat to be banned. There is no valid reason to have a messaging app where everything disappears. If people can think of one, then I'm all ears. Actually, there's a guy that's been on the show with me many times. And he runs a website. It's a very useful website for people trying to protect themselves online. And I guess protect their youngsters from bullying and the like. His name is Graham Mulhern. He's been on the opinion line many times, but he runs a website called besecureonline.ie. Besecureonline.ie. And you'll find out more information there. Now, Emma, Emma is reaching out to us and reaching out to anyone who'll help her with a very common problem. Emma, good morning. Morning, how are you? Good. The only thing you can do during lockdown is take Babby out for a walk in the buggy. And what's happening? Um, well, you can probably hear himself there in the background. Indeed I can. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, listen, it's, I suppose, it's, I suppose historically, I think anyone that has lived in Cork, like it's the thing, like you see someone walking around with their head down, you're like, oh, they must be from Cork because they're looking out for the dog stuff. It's just always been a thing for as long as I can remember anyway. But like, literally all we can do is go for a walk and I've just noticed and loads of other friends of mine who've had babies in lockdown have noticed that the dog fouling has just kicked up a notch and it's just and where, whereabouts are you Emma? I'm in Douglas but I've tried Douglas, The Lock, Turnus Cross, Ballyvihan, Black Rock, Ballinock, Ballintemple, the city centre I have tried everywhere within my 5k yeah. and it doesn't matter like I'm not going out for a walk now today because I can't scrub the buggy or my shoes anymore but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday covered like there is nowhere to go and Sometimes the footpaths are so narrow, I can't get around it. Like, I'm 5'2", he weighs about 10 kilos inside a heavy buggy, I can't lift it. Um, I'm not comfortable anymore pushing the buggy out into the road to get around it. It's just ridiculous. And at this stage, I think the dog warden is a fictitious character because nobody's answering a phone, nobody's answering emails, so I don't believe that they actually exist. Mm. Um, And I think the council is just wasting their money putting up all these dog um, fouling signs. You'll get a 250 euro fine because... I, don't I wonder, has ever anybody has ever been life. charged with that? I, I don't mean, think so. No. I don't think so. Like, a couple of years ago, I could try and get onto the warden about a problem with an Alsatian being left run riot, um, unsupervised, and it took months. And their attitude was like, sure, what can I do? It's like, you can beat the dog warden. So yeah. um, it's just, it's ridiculous. And sometimes, especially with the sun, you're walking, you don't necessarily always see, or no. if it's raining, you don't always see. And no. there's been times now, the last couple of weeks, it's been in through our house. It's gotten on the babies. It's just, it is disgusting. And there's no need for it. And it's embarrassing mm. that, like, if you have anybody coming to Cork, like, my parents took in students learning English for 10 years when we were growing up. Every single one of them, without fail, would, would comment on it. Yeah. And all it and takes was, is like, for someone ago, out yeah, walking a dog to actually walk behind the dog and pick it up. Just pick it up. Just pick it up. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous! You can't go ten feet, like Ballybrackwoods. The the kids that go to my daughter's school, they all kind of live around there. So Ballybrackwoods is pretty much the only place that they can get to now. And there's been loads of families that like we have a group chat with the parents, and they're saying that they can't go there anymore because it's so bad. They've given up on going because of dog fowl. Like it's so stupid. Like it's ridiculous. There should be people out. You know, you can socially distance, kind of going around patrolling to see what people are doing. You know, if they put up bins for people to put the stuff into. 
you know, like little bins and you can have bags. I've seen it in other countries, bags um, on the side of bins specifically for dog fouling. And in a way, they have lids on them that mm. ensures that people can't, you know, set them on fire or do anything. See, like I'm, a, I'm also a great believer in personal responsibility. And I get a bit tired of all this nonsense, but there should be bins. People should carry a little bag with them, pick up oh, the poo. And then when you go home, you have a shore in the driveway. Tip yeah. it down the shore and dump the bag. That's yeah. that's the responsibility of being an owner. Or put know? it in your wheelie bin that's down the side of your house. Like it doesn't have to come into your house. You know, it's just yeah. But and it's all like it's just so frustrating. And you, I think people think from what I've seen anyway, my experience, it's all the little lap dogs and the little Bichon freezes. Oh, they're like bigger on the, the inside. Small. They're bigger oh, on yeah. the inside. <laughs> It's like just because it's a little dog, you know, it doesn't mean that you get to leave it out and run riot. Oh, and God, no. Know, the, the, the size like, of the dog is inversely proportional to what they can produce. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, and I know it might seem like such a trivial thing to people, but believe you me, when you've had to scrub dog stuff off your runners and your buggy four mm. days in a row, like, you kind of reach your limit. Apparently it's been very, very carefully under uh, supervision at Tremor Valley Park. It's very clean if you want to go for a walk it there. Is but the problem is I have to drive there because they won't open the gate so I can't get down. The back gate, which is of course. Frustrating enough, yeah. yeah. The back gate. So which kind of defeats the purpose and then if I'm kind of be worried that the odd time I have driven somewhere for a walk the same thing has happened and I've had to put, put the buggy into my car like that. So yes. like it's yeah. just and I know it seems trivial and maybe people think that I'm like going well, it's, you, you know, see, yeah, it never isn't. It's, bigger things. No, but no, it's, no, no, hold on. It isn't trivial. Because if you bring that stuff into your house inadvertently or it gets on your child's clothes or it gets on... There are any number of horrible diseases that you can pick up from poo. And it's just not a nice thing. Like, as I said, I've got a six-month-old. Like, he started solids recently. I have enough of that to be dealing with inside my house. And you don't like want to know about toxic caracanus. You just don't. No, no. You don't. No, it's, mm-hmm. it's like I should be able to go from my house to my child's school, which is on one road... Um, for about 15, 20 minutes and not have, yeah. you know, and just not have to, yeah. to deal with it or get caught on the way up and down. Right. Emma, so listen, I, just, I know yeah, you've I got to... I if the council could get somebody on it, it'd be great. Yeah. Well, uh, there's actually a committee, believe it or not. Really? Yes. There's a committee, there's a dog fouling committee. My God, well, there is. you know what, if I didn't, if I hadn't any progress to show or if I didn't answer emails to the phone in my job, I'd be let go. So there's actually a dog, f- there's a committee in City Hall paid to talk shite. Well, there you go, that's it. <laughs> and they're <laughs> not doing much. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, great to talk to you. Thanks very much. 1850 That's the thing. There is actually a dog poo committee in City Hall. You would think with a dog poo committee in City Hall, they'd know what to do. 1850-715-996. Terry says when he goes out to walk the dog, uh, he's offered other dog walkers a, buy, a bag for the poo. And they've looked at him as if he had two heads. And people say, oh, the dog bags are expensive and I have to go to a pet shop. No, you don't. No, you don't. Go to a chemist. They're all open. And get nappy bags. And nappy bags are so cheap and you get loads of them and they're a little bit scented, bring them out. You know, maybe maybe have the dog do their business in the back garden before you go out. You know, I mean, you go to the jacks before you leave the house. Why wouldn't the dog? You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. 
Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. The hashtag is OL96. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. And messages through that page and please mark your messages for the attention of the opinion line. It just makes them easier to find. With the hundreds of messages, thousands of messages we get here at 96pm in the course of any one week. If we can search the opinion line, we can find the messages much more quickly. Richard was on from y'all. Richard, thank you and a little slap wristies for the page because I had forgotten uh, I should never forget things like this but my favourite or one of my favourite publications of the entire year is back on our shelves. The Cork Hollybow is back on the shelves. And Terry is looking at me now through the glass wondering what the hell is the Cork Hollybow? Um, most people who come to Cork who aren't actually from Cork wonder what the hell the Hollybow is. But it is something that we hold precious and we hold dear because it is, we think it is the only magazine publication of its kind in the world and it's gone all over the globe copies of the Hollybow can be found in the four corners of the globe and it's out again and it's full of great stories it's full of great poetry it's full of wonderful pictures it's full of fantastic Christmas nostalgia it's got a gorgeous front cover and the Diffley quiz is in there again and it's a stinker this year I don't mind telling you but the Hollybow is out and great to see it on the streets again and thank you Richard for the reminder. 1850-715-996. And then the stories that give you a smile, like the holly bell being out. And then there's the stories that just make you go, Ah, Jesus! Kira is trying to run a business in the middle of a pandemic and they're going putting up the water charges. Kira, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. Where's the business? Um, so it's Kira Hair and Co. So it's on Washington Street. Um, so it's myself and my business partner Darren. So there's two of us in it, and there's eight of us working there. And what kind of money do you pay for water? As it is, do you know what we pay um, the city council rate? So our rates for the year are nine thousand euros. Right. So that's what we pay for our rates for the year. Um, and like like you guys, thanks for the call. And we also had a call from Liz Dunphy, the examiner, yesterday. Just wanted to know how it would affect um, businesses and in particular salons. And, you know, it's just, if you look at the statements that were made in the first lockdown um, from Irish Water and statements that are being made now in a second lockdown, even though they're made in the same period of time, so they're both made in lockdowns, they completely... Um, they completely contradict each other. So in the first lockdown last March, um, this was deferred because Irish Water admitted there was enough financial pressures facing businesses during COVID-19. That's a direct quote. So the CRU then, so the Commission for Regulation of Utilities, also made a statement backing that up, saying that they supported what Irish Water were doing, saying that, quote, the decision was made on the basis that any bill increases would fall at a time when there is considerable uncertainty for non-domestic customers. Now, nothing has changed. Um, there is still financial pressure and there is still huge uncertainty for, for businesses. Um, it's just, they com- it's as if 
if you didn't know the dates of the statements, you'd think they were made three or four years apart. Like, there's nothing changed. We keep being told every, you know, we're watching the news and it's not going anywhere and we have to continue. And that's what we're doing and that's what businesses are doing. We're all taking a hit. We're working at a less than 50% capacity. Um, we underwent huge health and safety training with um, Morley Safety Consultants, making sure all of our team were COVID compliance officers. We worked under all their guidelines, working at less than 50%. And closed at the moment. Closed. Um, yeah, so we're in a lockdown and then you get told, <laughs> you get told there's going to be another bill. It's just disheartening. Um, and it's, it's a case of we're doing what we're, what we're asked to be doing and it's just a bit of a slap in the face. And, you know, they are, I have to say, I found the systems that they put in place at the beginning in terms of um, grants and things like that, they were a great help. Now, they didn't, they didn't resolve all the loss that we took, but it, it helped us catch up with some bills that we, we had while we were closed. That's all it did. It didn't rectify the damage that was done. Um, and I just don't know. I think the people that make these decisions are just so out of touch. Yeah. Um, like, has so Irish Water changed its mind? Like you said, they said very clearly that businesses were under, under, under enough pressure as it was. I don't know if they've changed their mind on that. So, so, so who has it, changed their mind? It's just if you, it's. Um, I suppose I'm a bit nitty gritty with looking at language and the way they've put the statements together. But they've done it very cleverly. But. They've changed their perspective now. They said that it, it, it would be inequitable for them not to bring it in. Um, and they're going on the basis with that in the sense that they're saying that nearly half nearly half of businesses, no, nearly half means less than half, um, but it sounds better by saying nearly half are overpaying water rates. So they're saying that if they don't bring this in, that businesses will continue to be overpaying. What's that supposed so, to mean? So basically, I don't understand what they should do is they should look at the businesses that are overpaying under this new system and say to them, okay, under this new tariff that we're bringing in, you're overpaying, so you're, you're going to pay the lesser rate. But the businesses that are paying, say, that costs would go up, that should be frozen and that should stay the same. We're not asking for it to go completely. Yeah. It should just stay the same because, you know, you're you're there trying to work out, you know, what, how much money you need to take in just to pay bills, just to pay wages, just to pay rent, just to pay rates. And you're, you're trying your hardest to do it. And you're working six days a week, nine to nine, six days a week. And it's just so disheartening. Then they're coming out and saying, okay, actually add a bit more on. You need to take, it's just so, so difficult. The, the, the much hackneyed phrase, we're all in this together, tends to, Tends to yeah, run a bit hollow there, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what I said to, to Liz yesterday. I, you know, the people that are making these decisions, they're not in it with us together. Their wages, they're not on the wage, so they're not on the COVID payment that we're, that myself and Darren are on and that our girls and that so many other salons and other businesses and restaurants and everything else have had to close. They're not on that payment. So we're not all in this together. And it's just, I just think it's so ironic that they came out in one lockdown and said, yeah, like it's it's a mirrored it's a mirrored situation in the sense of we were in a lockdown. They said, okay, we understand. There's so much uncertainty. We cannot put this pressure on businesses. Then they come out in the second lockdown and say, oh, actually, we absolutely have to because it doesn't make sense not to. Like you just can't. No matter how many times you read what's been put out there, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. 
Like what yeah, was different yeah. between this lockdown and the last one? People lost money, people lost jobs, people had to close their doors and put yeah. up with it. And they're very, they're doing their best. People are doing their absolute best, just like they did the last time. And yeah. now when they come out of it, a, a bigger water bill is there. That's, that's yeah. your thanks for doing your best. Yeah, and you know, they're very good for coming on. And like I did say, the, the restart grants did help. They didn't, they did not repair the damage that was done. They did help. But, you know, you hear them come on and they're, they're saying, I was the first one I was telling people, you know, I have friends that have business as well. I was like, this is, it's very simple to apply. This is what you do. It will help us. And they're bragging about it and they're talking about it. And that's getting a lot of airtime and that's getting, that's making the newspapers and they're making statements on these things. But then the Irish water thing is just slipped in there. So they're giving you in one hand and taking in another. It, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, if, if we do, we're projecting, they're saying that we should be allowed to open on, again on the 2nd of December. Mm. And if that does go to plan, I mean, who knows? I mean, we're still at the stage where people are looking to make appointments with us and they're really eager to make appointments. But we can't take appointments yet because we don't know, are they going to extend it? Are they going to shorten it? So you've just so much uncertainty in, in mm. your business. Just how and much more of this can people take, Kira? I've, I don't know. And the, the most worrying thing about this now is um, there's viable businesses, businesses I know that are very that are very well run, that um, are doing the right things. They're great businesses. They've been around a long time and they've bowed out because they just, it's not worth it. And it's like that, it's a disheartening and it's kicking the teeth. Like if we do reopen, say, for example, on the 2nd of December, our business will have been closed 21 weeks out of 52. 21 out of 52. So we've been only allowed to operate just over 50% of the year. And I mean, myself and Darren, luckily, and we have a great team and whatever we've asked of them, they've done and they've been behind us 100%. But there's a lot of people out there that they just, they mightn't have that support or they just feel they can't do it anymore. But I just think it's very underhand how it's been done. And for them to come out and say it's for our own good, is even yeah, more insulting. That's ridiculous. If the Taoiseach was listening to you this morning, Kira, or the Tanishta, who is the business minister, of course, mm-hmm. what would you be saying to either one? Imagine it's not me at the end of the phone. Imagine it's Michal or Leo. Try not to swear. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what, would you, what would you say? Oh, God. Again, I just keep using the phrase out of touch out of touch, this isn't affecting them. Okay, they might maybe they're working a few extra hours at the end of the day. They're paid well for it. Um, myself and Darren are self-employed and we're, we're working every single day trying to come up with new things. How can we make the business, you know, how can we do new things all the time? And we're, we're, it's, it's very hard to survive and very hard to keep going. They're just not, they're obviously not speaking to businesses. And if they were speaking to businesses, like I couldn't imagine... I know plenty of business owners. I couldn't imagine if they were in communication with business owners and they were asking them what's going on and they said, we're thinking of bringing the water rates in. So um, I couldn't imagine any business owner saying, that's a great idea. I think you'll have everyone's support. They're just so out of touch. I can't get my head. And like I said, I was all I was all about, yeah, we're in this together. We're all doing our but We're not. And it does not, every time I hear it now, it's just getting more and more frustrating because we're not all in this together. Well, here's hoping that when you do get open on the 2nd or 3rd of December, that the very least you can have is a good solid Christmas. And, and maybe people are listening to businesses. There's time enough to, to change people's minds. 
hopefully it yeah. can be so. It, it can be. Yeah, and thanks, thanks so much for um, getting in contact with us and Liz as well in the exam yesterday. Because to be honest, unless you guys were bringing attention to it, it would be swept under the under the rug. So thank you so much for. No, um, no, no, that's that's the, that's the kind of thing we love to hear from as businesses trying to make it and being told we're all in this together, and then you get a letter like this, or you get a notification like this, and realise you're absolutely not in it together. Kira and Darren, uh, best of you, best of luck for the future to those of you down at Kid Air. Um, is it Kid Hair or Kid Hair? Kid Hair. Kid Hair. Thanks. 1850-715-996. Caller says, this is typical of Fine Gael. Anytime there's a crisis, they use it to push an agenda of charging for water. And this goes back to before the recent Irish water controversy in one form or another. They've been doing it since the 90s. Well, business, Caller, you see, business has always paid for water. We've been through this a hundred times. Households rejected water charges and, and that battle, I suppose you could say, is ongoing. For the moment, it's been won. The householders aren't paying water charges. But businesses have always paid water charges. As far back as you can think. And now they want to put them up in the middle of a pandemic. Having said in the first lockdown, oh, no, no, we won't put them up because people can't take it anymore and we're all in this together. Now in the second lockdown, ah, Jesus, he'll take an old bit of a hike now and may make it fair to everyone. <sighs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 96 96 96 on Court's 96 FM. Some fascinating stuff coming out, or fascinating, a little bit frightening, coming out of the election in the States, which we haven't forgotten about and we will be touching on later in the programme. We'll be getting an update and finding out what exactly is going to happen. Just when will Joe Biden be elected? And is there any possibility at all that the Donald can come back and clinch it? Mathematically, he can. Mathematically, there is still a way for uh, Donald Trump to win the election. But last night's speeches were just another chapter in an absolute debacle. In America, the vote is sacred. It's how people of this nation express their will. And it is the will of the voters. No one, not anything else, 
that chooses the president of the United States. We think there'll be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen like this. That's the two of them last night, and it's just getting crazier and crazier. And Kevin has shared a tweet with us. CBS News correspondents covering the election are now wearing stab vests. Stab vests. Dear God. 1850-715-996. Now, John Adams, you have been objecting for a long time to this uh, hotel development down by uh, the port of Cork. And there's a deadline for objections on Monday, and you're particularly annoyed with the Green Party. Good morning. Uh, good morning, TJ. How are you? Not too bad. We know about this development, but remind us again, there's a plan to build the biggest skyscraper in Ireland. It'll be on top of the port, what, the old port buildings. It'll be a hotel. It'll be, it'll be a huge development for the city. Why are you so opposed to it? Well, first thing I want to point out, PJ, and I've always had this stance, is I've never objected to any buildings in Cork City. What I object to is the destruction of our heritage in the city and the beautiful Port of Cork buildings. Can you get a bit closer to your phone, if you wouldn't mind? The the skyscraper could be built anywhere. Uh, There's so much empty land in the Docklands area. Why do they need to build it on top of... Ireland's and Cork's most important historical heritage port buildings. These are unique buildings. Mm. You can't recreate them. They will never be the same again. But they're being preserved, aren't they, John? Look, if you build a 35-storey hotel on top of these buildings, that is not preserving a PJ. They'll be part of the new structure. They'll be an inherent part of the new structure. They're preserved forever, rather than one at the moment. They're falling down. They're not falling down. They're very, very well-built stone buildings. They're filthy, dirty, and it's a disgrace the way the Port of Cork have let these companies go into disrepair like that. They have been in charge of those buildings for over 50 years, and they never did any maintenance on those buildings. In fact, I photographed them with big holes in the roof after that big storm about five years ago. They left the holes in the roof for a whole year until I was on your programme giving out about it, and then they fixed them. The Port of Cork sold them off for a, a piddling little sum of five million. It's very strange how cheaply they sold off that site, when considering a site very nearby went for 34 million. That was smaller than that site and a lot less prominent position. So there's something very strange going on with the Port of Cork. I'd like to call them out and... I'd like to see the minutes of the meeting of the Port of Cork that decided to sell off these state assets yeah. so cheaply. Well, it, what's, what's done is done, I guess. And, and I'll also say shame on Cork City Council, especially the city manager. I've written to every single councillor in there about this over the years mm. and the city manager, and not one of them has replied to me. The only one that replied was Des Cattle. And he spent a long time, this is Fine Gael now, he yeah. spent a long time trying to convince me to stop objecting to this building. And Simon Coveney promised me to my face that he would fight to keep these buildings in public ownership. But did he? No. Uh, not long afterwards, Simon Coveney was in all the newspapers with the O'Sullivan brothers who owned Tower Holdings, yeah. shaking their hands and saying, that this is going to be yeah. great for Cork City. A lot of people would describe this, John, as progress. You know, yeah. we're taking old buildings that are in, like you said, they're, they're 
they're in a terrible state they've been sold they will be preserved their shape will be preserved and we have got progress listen they're listed buildings the the whole plan is to actually raise up these buildings so they're going to take off the roofs and they're going to raise it up by a few meters and then put a new roof back on that's not preserving a building in the way we know it but But what would you like to have done what would you like to be done well, I've been campaigning to have the Maritime Museum in those buildings for many years because Cork has no tourist attractions and we need something like that badly. And Cork has one of the most incredible maritime histories. How do we know that there won't be some celebration of our history in the new Can building? Can you not interrupt me for a minute, please? Now, Cork has one of the most incredible maritime histories in the world. And we don't celebrate that. There's nothing about it anywhere in the city. There's nothing in the city to attract tourists, is there? We need something like this. If we had a world-class maritime museum there, that would bring so many people to Cork and it would have such an amazing goodwill factor. It, it would be an incredible Couldn't thing agree with city. you more. Pardon? Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. But does so, it have to be there? I mean, at it's that the point? perfect location because it has the water on both sides. So you can have ships and boats coming in and around it. You could have a sailing school there. You could mm. do so much with that site. But this is going to be a five-star hotel. How many people in Cork will be able to go in there? Tell me that. How many people will be able to afford to go into a five-star hotel or be even let inside the front door? This is an elitist building that's going up there and it's not for the people of Cork, it's for people who are very well It's for people visiting Cork, yeah Like that golf resort down in Kinsale, where people are locked out, they're not even allowed to walk on the land It'll be just like that Wealthy Americans coming in and it'll be totally elitist five star Mm. hotel Let's let's bring in um, Now you're not particularly happy I think with the stance of the Green Party on this no, and um, it's the city manager, really, because under this city manager, who is unelected, have you ever had her on your show? Does she many, many times, many yeah. times. Yeah. And does she defend her position? Because I'd like to have a debate with her. We, live we've on we've the had radio. her on the show many, many times. Yeah. I challenge her to come on and debate with me live because yeah. well, she well, is destroying the. Well, that's city. making it a bit personal about about one no, individual. No, it's not. She's in control of this city, and she's unaccountable. Who's bringing her to account? She's making all these decisions. Her and her planning team. The planning, the planning, the planning process can be tested at at, at any level, John. And one of them yeah. is the is the is the objection process. And you've got your objection put in. I think let's bring in Councillor Oliver Moore. Can I just finish for a minute? Second. Go go ahead. Listen to this now. Look at Blackpool. Look at Barrack Street. Look at so many poorer areas of our city and how neglected they are. What is she doing for those areas of the city? Absolutely. Well, we're talking about this particular area today. No, you know? no, but listen to this. She is a corporate executive manager. She's only interested in corporate money. She's let all. Well, the that's that's something that you. Yeah, that's an accusation that she's not here to defend. She's, yeah, well, I'm saying bring her on. She's driven out so many local businesses out of this city, like Russell's Bookshop, the oldest bookshop in Ireland. They can't afford to be... Well, you can't now. You can't say, John, nor will I allow you to say that Anne Doherty sat down and deliberately decided to close Liam Russell's. She I'm not going to let you say that because it's not true. Let's bring in Oliver Moore and the Green Party to discuss what we're trying to discuss here because don't broaden it out too much. Let's discuss the, the, the objection to the, the Port of Cork development. Oliver, good morning. <laughs> 
Morning, PJ. Where does the Green Party stand <clears throat> on this development? Um, look, personally, I've been involved in, in this for about three years. Um, I would say... <laughs> I, I would say without a shadow of a doubt that I'm, I'm the, the city councillor who's working most on this and consistently. Now, I, I didn't receive John's email. I, it might predate, predate my time for, from when I was uh, elected to the council. But I've, I've, I've been in conversation with John by telephone, by email about this. Uh, we've, we've appeared in numerous articles together. On, I think this is the first time on your programme together speaking to each other. But um, I don't know how many times I've been on your show about this. So I'm, I'm, I'm extremely active for the last three years on this. Now, John raises a lot of really good points in in, in what he's just after saying um, and th- they were the focus really of what I was trying to get out of this. So one thing which I, I wanted to to achieve in this um, was to make sure that those keys were open to, for public access. Um, it, it wasn't clear what the plan was at the beginning like John says, what they're talking about was a, a five-star hotel. I agree with John that is elitist. I agree with John that you know, these are keys which are in which were up until this point uh, in public ownership, and I believe they should remain in public ownership. Uh, but what has been achieved uh, by myself and John fighting over this for the last three years is that, uh, as part of the latest round of, of, of uh, planning uh, permission, which has been granted for this, is that uh, the key site will be open to the public. Um, and the, the ground floor is also of, of the hotel will be open to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, John also will there be a commemoration of the history as part of the ground floor? As, as part, yes, as part of it, it there will be a, a maritime heritage centre, um, and also that the idea of what John was getting at too, which was important to me too, that these will continue to remain as working uh, docks. I think that it's like it, it, it's fine having having um, you know museums. To the heritage of Cork, but we actually need to keep the heritage of Cork living. Um, and uh, another concession, which was 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 uh, won by consistently, you know, fighting and fighting and fighting over this, is that a part of this development is that there will continue to be uh, docks and maritime activity at. The, uh, the, the customers. Isn't that a good compromise, John? You can't have everything you want, but you get some of it. No, you, you see, you're both missing my whole point, is that there's so much of our old buildings being destroyed under this corporate executive management. Look at the train station and those beautiful... Let, can we focus on the issue of the no, day, no, John? No, no, because my whole point is the destruction of our heritage. But can we, I know, we've talked about that at length, but can we focus on the issue of the day? Please. This is the issue. Is that one building? This is building. the one thing we're on top of. If I let you go, you'll have something in every part of the city that you have a problem with, and I'm happy to discuss those when they're the news of the day. But this, they're they're not the news of today. Talk about the hotel. Yes, I, that's what I'm talking about. The destruction of our heritage, the hotel. But it's isn't it not being preserved? Our heritage, and the train station is another example, and navigation house. They knock down these beautiful old buildings and they keep the front wall. It's the same on Lavitt's Quay. It's pathetic. They look ridiculous keeping the old wall and you've got this huge, big, ugly glass monster on, attached to it. This isn't preservation, but this is what Cork City Council think is preservation. If mm. we want any of our old city left, people are going to have to act now because it'll be too late if we don't do something. Why don't they build buildings on sites where there isn't old buildings? This is mm. my whole point. Yeah, so clearly, obviously, the, the changes that Oliver has been through, that there will be 
a recognition of the heritage and the history, that there will be public access, that the keys will remain open and operational. None of that cuts any ice with you. Listen, no, it doesn't, because it, it's the buildings and what's happening to them is what I'm objecting to. A 35-storey hotel on top of our most important heritage buildings in, could be in Incorporating Ireland, our most they, they, important No, heritage. no, it's destroying them in my mind. It's in your mind, yeah. By the way, how many objectors are there, do we know? Well, I don't know, but there's. I, I looked on the Cork City... It's very hard to navigate the Cork City Council planning... Uh, website, it's it's a bloody nightmare to try and uh, find anything. Maybe on Oliver knows about how many objections, Oliver. Do you know? There, there was about thirty. Well, about thirty submissions, um, and it would be in the balance. I would say of two to one uh, in favour or against. Maybe less than that. So uh, thirty submissions, about ten objections then. But uh, about, uh, about twenty would be um, objecting, and I would say uh, ten or less were were. You know, clearly and did did the Green Party object to it, Oliver? Yeah, I, I made a submission, yeah. Uh, and, and you um, as, a, as a person, yeah? And are, are you happy... As, yeah. as a city councillor. As a city councillor. Presumably I, we have to come in. Yeah. And are you well, happy with the compromises, Oliver? Are you appealing I, I, to Ambordman Ola now? I, I think what, what, what John is getting at in, in the wider city is actually important. And I, I, I think... Like I understand what, what you're saying, PJ, that you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a wider discussion and, and you, know, you, you want to keep... And I'm happy to focus on each and every element of it on but, its day, but today isn't its day. But I, I, I think it is actually worthwhile kind of looking at, say, what's happening in the wider city and then what, what's happening in, in, the, in, the, um, in these buildings. Because really what, what gets to me, and I think John will, will, will agree here, what, what gets to me across the, the entire city is, is a death by a thousand cuts. Um, of of our, our built heritage in Cork, so we you know we have buildings that are falling down. We we have um, you know uh, buildings that are derelict w- w- without uh, derelict charges being enforced on them. Uh, we have you know developments like there is a North Main Street, which mm. you know, which has been, just been approved, which you know, lowers the the. the the quality and the character. And yet we get a big, exciting development for the centre of our and, and, city and, I, and, and people are hopping up and down about it. And, and I think I, I think that really is the, the contrast I, w- I would draw too. Like, John, John's perspective is entirely valid. Um, that, you know, it, it's, it's entirely valid to say, look, you want these buildings preserved. It's, it's also entirely valid to say, look, we're... we're we're improving these buildings. We're incorporating these buildings. We're making something new off them, and, and you know that would allow uh, us to have the, the particularly things which I want, which would put public access to, you know, to build a maritime heritage city there, and, and so on. But it's it, it's John's per- perspective too about preserving the past. It's right, but it's that contrast between. Uh, what's happening in the rest of the city? That's actually where I think people should be jumping up and down most. I understand why why, why John is, is is motivated by this. When I so am I, but I think really what where we should be getting angry is about the death by a thousand cuts across okay. the city. And I'll, I'll, look, I'll give you two examples. John is asking what the Green Party is doing. I'll give you two examples. Uh, so uh, particularly my my, my colleague uh, Dan Boyle, he's working in order to get. There, there is a list of heritage buildings in uh, the city, right. uh, National Inventory of Architectural Heritage, and we want in the next uh, city development plan that that list will be properly recognised okay. and those buildings will, will have the conservation that they need. Well, the other thing, on Monday, and I, I, I'm quite excited about this because it's, it's something which is working in Dublin and, and, and Limerick, uh, is the Cork will develop a civic trust um, and particularly I would like the City Council to lead on doing this. And this is where the I city Cork council had a civic trust. 
And, uh, but sure. the, idea, the idea with this is... Based over in the little doll's house building down there in the quay. So the, 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 the idea with this is that um, there would be a, a trust like this which would actually actively go and buy derelict buildings okay. and take them out of the hands of people who are allowing them to become derelict, allowing them to fall into the ground, okay. um, do them up and then sell them on. Um, or, or use them for some other purpose. Okay. But uh, we have to get active about what is happening in our city. And okay. John, is, John is right, by the way, to keep beating a drum. Okay, this. I'm John running running a bit short on time, so just, John, give you the, give you the last just, word. Just, this, just, yes, yes. To highlight my point is, and I want people to really take this in, because a lot of people think I'm just objecting to the building itself and to progress in Cork City, which I am not. I'm totally supporting progress but progress needs to be sympathetic to the city that we have like why did they knock down the sextant because that was a beautiful building a beautiful bar and the docklands needs bars don't forget when they have all those office blocks built all these glass skyscrapers they'll need a bar to go to and that was it looked perfect in between mm. the two big glass blocks well, to be honest with you, they could easily have preserved the, the surrounding lands. I'm going to have, to have to let it go because we're, we're not going to agree. And a lot of people, they will come back to this because, John, to be fair, the various things that you bring up, you do get some support. There's people think, yeah, John is right. John is right. They should preserve those buildings. And like Oliver said, there's many, many discussions like this we can have around the town on their given day. But not today. Thank you. 1850-715-996. I want to get to a call about COVID-19 that has just come in to us. Someone quite upset on the phone. i get to it next. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork Opera House is delighted to work with Collins Live to bring exciting live music to the stage again and to celebrate some of the city and Ireland's emerging artists. It takes place on November 29th and the show will feature Lorraine Nash, Neve Regan, Mellow Jam and Paddy Denny. Details on the live stream tickets can be found at CorkOperaHouse.ie. Access all areas. Alison Spittle brings her new show, Mother of God, to the Barras of Clonakilty on Thursday, November 19th. The star of RTE's Nowhere Fast has fast become one of Ireland's top comedians over the last couple of years, and tickets for the show are on sale from the venue's website, tabara.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. A bit of support for John Adams. I'll get to it later on. People saying that I should listen to him, that he's right. And look, lads, I won't lie about it. I love progress and I love glass and I love steel, unfortunately. That's where I stand. But I understand other people aren't the same as me now. To far more serious matters and far more personal matters for you, Siobhan. First of all, my sincere condolences. When did your mom pass away? My mom passed away um, last Tuesday week. Oh, so it's very recent. Yeah, very recent. Yeah. And, and it was COVID, was it? Well, she had terminal lung cancer. Right. Um, we were hoping we'd have her until Christmas. But there was 20 members of my family and extended family that contacted COVID. Right. Um, my brother is in a coma. Two weeks, just over two weeks, I think. 
Um, with COVID? With COVID, yeah. Um, no change in the last two weeks. So we don't know where we're going to go. And, did, and your mum contracted it too, did she? My mum contracted it too. Yeah, but my mum had no... Um, she had no defence. Symptoms. Um, we all got it. We stayed away. And next time she just... One day she just stayed to bed and she didn't get out and she wouldn't eat or drink. Um, it's It was the most cold and callous funeral. Yes. It's... You know, we couldn't dress her. Her rose disease was taken out of her head and sent home with her clothes. Um, it would be a closed coffin. Do you know, we see her mum the Friday night before she died. Um, they told us to come up and we went up and see her, to see her and she couldn't breathe. She wanted to speak, but she couldn't say nothing. So they put her on the marketing pump that night and we were on our way up the following morning. We were just about halfway and we got a call from the, the nurse that said, oh, we on the way up and we said yes. And they rang us again at Victoria Cross and um, they said, are you near? So we said we were, so they told us a short way to go in, just under the maternity bridge of CUH and drive as far as they could and yeah. they'd be waiting there with PP here. So they got us up and got ready and we walked down the corridor and there was two nurses meet us and she was just gone about 15 minutes. Oh, God help you. Yeah. But it's just maddening me so much that people are talking about the lockdown, the lockdowns, um, cafes closed, bars closed. You know, they're not being decided that we're just after witnessing. You know, we can't grieve our mother because our brother's so ill, he's critical. Um, we've all contacted it, so even my, my own children. And they can't mix with their kids yet, you know, even though we're out of isolation. Yeah. During... Through the lockdown, they're just, you know, calling at night, he's sending us to my car and he talks to his friends in the car. Um, or they might go for a walk and just stay apart, you know, even though he's safe. But then you see people in town don't wear masks. They don't see the sanitizer provided in the shop. I actually went into the shop just before my mum died and a fellow came right up behind me. No mask or nothing on it. And I actually said to the boy in, in the, behind the counter, I said, can he not... Um, Tell them go outside, and he said, "No, unfortunately, we can't." But I think no, and you know, if there's something, if a guard is in the shop, that they can find him or something. Yeah. But it's just maddening me. I'd never, it would never bother me if I never see a pub again. If I still had my mother and my brother, you know. I know. It would never bother me if I never had to go for a meal in a restaurant, and it's just, it's the other side of the COVID. You know, I was the same before we all con- contracted it. You know, always like, oh, this lockdown. You know. It's going on too long in the world after the first lockdown, and people aren't seeing it, it tears families apart. Yeah. No, you said that your mum had terminal cancer. Yeah. And that you were hoping she'd see she'd see yeah. it through Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, we were. You know, we were given three to six months, and she was but like, even that was taken from you. That was even taken from us, and she was doing so good. Doing I know. So good, you and, know. And I suppose the the, the heartbreaking part must be that you couldn't have the proper funeral. Yeah. Because yeah. I suppose when someone is terminal, as it were, mm-hmm. you've some time to think and no, prepare. We've made great memories, you know, since June. And we had our Sundays, you know, we'd go down and we'd 
she tell a story about years ago we'd have a sing song and because yeah. my niece is a brilliant singer and um, we'd laugh and we'd joke and cry at the same time but she was doing so good and we were being so careful Was she aware of her terminal diagnosis? She was, she was yes. yeah. yeah And had, yeah. She, had she come to some kind of terms with it? Oh she had yeah yeah, yeah. yeah she had to. I mean I was taking a picture of her with me one day I always take a picture on Sunday and um, she looked at it and she said um Oh, I look like I'm dying. And she said, Oh, yeah, I am. You know, I was, she used to have the funny side of it as well. Yeah. But I mean, she was 88, she'd have been 89 this, this month, you know, so she, she had a great life. Do you know what, Siobhan? She was a good age, but it's never enough when no, your days are numbered. Not, not being able to say that final goodbye. No. You know, for her to be buried in a hospital gown, not being able to dress her up, not being able to see her. You know, that final goodbye was taken from And, and did you realise? First of all, not being able to be with her when mm-hmm. she died so quickly and so suddenly, because I'm sure, well, I can only say, I think you probably had all of that planned, had you? Oh, we had, yeah. You had everything yeah. planned and, and yeah. you were going to be there at the end. And Yeah, she was go- We were. She was never going to marry a if you could help us. Yeah. And she was being kept at home. We were caring for her, for her home. And... Yeah. Um, you were, um, and we all were those plans, all those plans were destroyed and taken destroyed, from you. Yeah, she. Yeah. We, we made her a promise. Well, my sister did actually. My elder sister, as a Sarah, who did a very good job, um, she promised her that she wouldn't be left at the funeral home overnight. That we were keeping her at her home, yeah. and that she was taken from the home to the church. And in the end, she ended up in a preparation room in the funeral home. <sighs> Do you know, no clothes, no rose beads, but she was. Always had in her hand. And, and you know, Siobhan, don't you? I hope you do. That if she's looking down now, she doesn't blame you for that. Oh no, no, no. My sister, my sister got help. She did. She said, "I, I failed you. I didn't do what I promised." But no, she didn't. No, she you know, didn't. I mean, no, we all, didn't. we all said, "Church, not trying." You couldn't do did nothing about it. Like you were taken yeah. out of our hands. The, you know? the, the 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 finest of plans have been scuppered by this blasted pandemic. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. there are people who call the show, who text the show, who message me in. Mm-hmm. I'm always reluctant to take them on because I kind of listen to me. I'm listening to nonsense. But to, to those of people who say it's being blown out of all proportion, what do you okay. say? No. I mean, 20 of our family members. That's not out of proportion. That's only in one family. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's very much out there and people don't realize it is. How, how is your brother? Um, he's critical. How old is he, Siobhan? Um, he's 59. How much? 59. 59. Yeah. And has he got underlying conditions or he was has, he in good health? He has underlying conditions, yeah. Um, do you know... And of course, you, you, you can't... He's in ICU, and you come, but you can't get to see him, I suppose? No. No, his partner did ours, um, but just for a little while. That was, you know, out in and out kind of thing, but... Um, it's, it's just so hard because of the no visiting and not knowing what's going on and we're just waiting for phone calls, you know, to see what we need every day. That's what we wait for. Yeah. And no change, no change, no change. No, we're not disimproving. But um, it's just he's the same every day, you know. He knew he was being put into the juice coma. How, um, yeah, how... Did it take him long? Was was he sick for a long time or was it sudden? No. no? He was, I think, if I can remember, the days and we saw gone into 
months, but um, I think he would in the hospital on the Sunday night. No, he was. You could you could hear that he was breathless because you know when you bring him, you don't. You wouldn't be speaking tonight. Say, yeah, it's all right, gone away. Yeah. And we were talking to him on the Sunday night, and he just got a fix up. I think he coughed, started coughing, and it's when he found it hard to take his breath. And he's actually his partner decided to ring for an ambulance because she said he was starting to change colour. And that was on the Sunday night. And I think it was on the Tuesday or Wednesday. They said then that he'd have to go into an induced coma because he's lungs on coping. And so he knew he was going under. He was quite happy to, you know. Yeah. But he was very bad in that stage with the breathing. Yeah. And the rest of them so grand because there's some young, you know, my my kids were young days. One of my sons had no symptoms. He just kind of a, a joy. Did, did you get it yourself? I did, yes. And how did you get through? How what kind of symptoms did you have? Were you sick? The pain in my head. Just done straight away in the morning with pain in my head. Um pain behind my eyes and a cough and then a sore throat that would be I had no trouble breathing or yeah. The rest of the family hasn't, you know. it, just, it just shows, doesn't it, Siobhan, you know, you can never tell how it's going to affect somebody. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. the biggest problem with it, you yeah. can never tell. Just finally, before I let you go, first of all, I really, really hope for you. And, you know, we're rooting for your brother that, that he yeah. pulls through yeah. this. And my thoughts are with you as a guard, your mom. They really are. Yeah, it's hard. Just people remember that, you know. They don't want to be burying a person that they, they can't say the final goodbye or, or that aren't there in a hospital going. You know, we go to the graveyard and it feels so hard to believe it because we hadn't that chance of saying our final goodbye to our mother. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and until my brother comes out of this, please God, we won't be able to do that until we know he's ours. Okay. Well, you take care of yourself. Thanks so much. All right, and thank you for your call. And I hope that some of the idiots who are playing this down yeah. were listening. Siobhan, thank you. And again, condolences on the loss of your beloved mom. You are listening to highlights from the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. 1857-15996, the number, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696, email opinion at 96fm.ie, Twitter at opinionline96, and of course, message us through the Cork's 96FM Facebook page, and please address your messages for the attention of the Opinion Line. Birthday greetings, I don't normally do them, but two of my friends today, first of all, the double Grammy Award nominated Roy Buckley. Uh, nominated two Grammys for his song The Old Man on Patrick Street. Roy celebrates his birthday today. And also, uh, she was a guest on the programme a few months ago and she's a great activist and a great friend of mine, Jess, Jess Nivellon, uh celebrates her birthday today. I don't normally do them, but you know what? Every so often you get to mention people. 1850-715-996 on the developments and the John Adams' argument about old Cork and how we should be preserving old Cork. There's large parts of the city falling down, but these guys want to hold back progress. If they can't move forward, it's just going to languish there for years, like a load of other buildings. Andrew, I'd like to say about the building, just look at City Hall, a beautiful historic landmark, ruined by the monstrosity of the Elysian now behind it. Tell of the Elysian, 
The Elysian could have been built elsewhere down the Docklands, much the same as the proposed skyscraper, but money talks. That's Andrew in Blackpool. 1850-715-996. We've been watching this thing since Tuesday night, and, and it's playing out like a bad episode of EastEnders at this stage. Now, those of us who are used to covering the election count in Ireland know that really three days is nothing. Nothing. Three days is an average count to get the whole thing finished in this country. But we still don't know who is going to be the 46th president of the United States. The chances are, the chances are, it's more than likely going to be Joe Biden. But there's still a path to power a path to holding the White House. There's still a mathematical path for Donald Trump. The two men have been speaking in the last 12 hours or so. First, Joe Biden. In America, the vote is sacred. It's how people of this nation express their will. And it is the will of the voters. No one, not anything else, that chooses the President of the United States of America. Democracy is sometimes messy. It sometimes requires a little patience as well. But that patience has been rewarded now for more than 240 years with a system of governance that's been the envy of the world. And we continue to feel, Senator and I, we continue to feel very good about where things stand. We have no doubt that when the count is finished, Senator Harris and I will be declared the winners. So I ask everyone to stay calm, all the people to stay calm. The process is working. The count is being completed, and uh, we'll know very soon. That's Joe Biden speaking uh, late last night. And then it was a case of stop the presses, because we heard that Donald Trump was speaking in the White House briefing room. And that was carried live, and that threw all of the networks into a tizzy overnight. Here's Donald Trump. We want an honest election. We want an honest count. And we want honest people working back there because it's a very important job. So that's the way this country is going to win. That's the way the United States will win. And we think we will win the election very easily. We think there's going to be a lot of litigation because we have so much evidence, so much proof. And it's going to end up perhaps at the highest court in the land. We'll see. But we think there'll be a lot of litigation because we can't have an election stolen like I like this. It's not a question of who wins, Republican, Democrat, Joe, myself. We can't let that happen to our country. Uh, as you know, I've claimed certain states and uh, he's claiming states and we can both claim the states. But ultimately, I have a feeling judges are going to have to rule. But there's been a lot of shenanigans and we can't uh, stand for that in our country. There's absolutely no evidence, by the way, conclusive evidence of any kind of shenanigan, as he puts it. But that's pretty much the gist of what he was saying last night. Now, John is in North Cork, I think. Oh, God, his line has gone there. Uh, we'll see if we can get him back. Might talk to him in a minute, guys. But let's go to, uh, we've had him on the show before, and he's a very well-known political commentator when it comes to the United States. A, a registered Democrat, but uh, always manages to steer a neutral path. That's Larry Donnelly. Good morning, Larry. Great to be with you. And to you, sir. Now, there's, there's still a mathematical path for uh, Donald Trump, but with, with every passing hour, it looks less likely because th- the leads that he had are closing. But 
there is nothing untoward here. The, the, the postal ballot system is a little bit strange, but there's nothing untoward. Is that right? No, there there isn't. I mean, the the president's claims, especially in that that speech last night, which I have to say was was diabolical. To be frank with you, um, the president's claims were uh, totally unsubstantiated. No evidence or proof. Uh, riddled with misstatements and outright lies, I'm afraid. Um, the reality is that Joe Biden is going to uh, get to 270 electoral college votes. Uh, it's a matter of hours, not days, I think, at this stage. Uh, and the crucial thing to point out is that Joe Biden will get to 270 electoral college votes, which is the magic number, uh, that he will get to that uh, without the state of Pennsylvania. And the state of Pennsylvania is the only place uh, where Donald Trump has a colorable uh, legal argument to put forward. His legal arguments in the other states uh, are either uh, extremely frivolous or they're down to recounts and that sort of thing. Well, what is his argument with regard to Pennsylvania? Uh, okay. Uh, a couple of months before the election, uh, because of the pandemic, an election official made the decision that ballots that were received after uh, election day but cast before or on election day, uh, that those would be counted. Now, that represented an alteration to uh, the regulations. Now, the Republicans immediately went to court to challenge that, uh, and they lost the challenge in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. They then appealed to the United States Supreme Court, which did not decide the issue uh, on the merits. Now, in my view, uh, in the, the, there's a technical challenge here, they, the, an argument that the state legislature should have been the one to authorize the change. That's one of the technical sides. But in my view, uh, given that if it was ordinary times, uh, the legal arguments there might have a chance of succeeding. That is, changing the rules of the game two months ahead of time uh, is strange. But the reality is it was done in the context of a pandemic to maximize voter participation yeah. uh, in the electoral process. I cannot see uh, a court deciding that that, uh, that someone acting with that lofty aim uh, had committed uh, a breach of any constitutional provision, to be honest with you. I think, Larry, what we have looked at, those of us who follow these things, through a probably a wider lens as, than usual this week, is the American postal voting system. We've all known that millions of Americans vote for their president by post and always have done. But but are other strange comparisons, say, with our own system here, where all postal votes, guards, soldiers, anybody else entitled to a posting vote, that's got to be in the returning officer's room, locked down, sealed down, before a vote is cast in a ballot box. In the States, it's not the same. You can still have postal votes coming in two, three days, for example, in Nevada, there's still postal votes coming in. Yeah, that, that's right. And, I mean, it, it should be said that the rules were loosened considerably this time. But, I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but um, look, there are lots of critics uh, of American democracy in this country who say American democracy is fatally flawed, etc. And they point to what they call widespread voter suppression efforts and all that. And, I, and absolutely, there are at times there are voter suppression efforts, and that's appalling. But I would say to suggest to you and to suggest to listeners respectfully that if we look just at this election, for instance, people in the United States, in almost all the United States, red states, blue states, in between states, have had the opportunity to vote both in person and by postal, by, by postal vote 
for months in some instances uh, across the country. And we see what that's led to. It's led to record levels of participation, record levels of minority voting. And what I would say to you, just turning the the, the lens back on Ahad, if you go on holiday and you, you wouldn't know, if you book a holiday six months in advance and the date of the election happens to be when you're on holiday, you can't cast a ballot. Uh, an island, which is a madness to me. Uh, and I think that some of the critics of the system in the United States should take a long, hard look at the mirror when they look at voting processes here. That is a fair point, Larry. Thank you. Now, you're a Bostonian, you're a registered Democrat, you're an American. Look at your country, Larry. And it's like, it, it is riven down the middle by this election. Yeah, and I, you know, look, I, I think it's it, it's it's sad, and the, the, the one of the things to say is that this malaise, this division, uh, predates the Trump presidency. Trump, what Trump did was he saw the division, uh, and because you know those who say he's dumb are very uh, are very much mistaken. Because he saw that division, and he did what he does best. He manipulated that division. He brought that showmanship touch to it, uh, and he got people to believe people who are hurting people who are struggling, people who hate the elites, people who hate the system, uh, and they have remained with him uh, through thick and thin. Uh, And it's just real evidence of of a country that, in my view, uh, has been driven down the middle by both uh, the forces of globalization and technology, which has exacerbated uh, income inequality, and a whole host of other uh, dividing things to say that it's not an exaggeration to say uh, that we really no longer can claim uh, to be the United States of America. And I think that this election result, and you know, before all the stuff that happened uh, after the ballot and Trump's disgraceful behavior, the reality is Donald Trump had an excellent election. The Republican Party arguably won this election, uh, all things considered. Uh, and I think given the trajectory of the, of the opinion polls in the months and weeks, and I, I know they tightened it in a couple of weeks before the election, but in the months ahead of time, it was all looking like a Democratic landslide. So it is illustrative that Donald Trump's philosophy uh, still holds a lot of sway uh, in the United States. What I think the Republican Party needs to do now is to find a more effective messenger uh, for the policies uh, that Donald Trump has been outlining for the past four years. Why do you think he's so popular, even though observers look at, you know, you wake up every day wondering what the hell has he tweeted? What is he going to say now? How is he going to approach something why is he so popular do you think i think his personal popularity is is down to uh, a real hatred for the elites among ordinary americans uh in the united states they would view people who live in places like boston and places like new york and places like san francisco uh as elitists who have nothing in common uh, with them. And bizarrely, even though he was, uh, you know, a New Yorker, graduated and was given a million dollars by his very wealthy parent father the day he graduated from college, uh, they somehow feel Donald Trump uh, is one of them uh, and not one of the elites. Trump has, has really channeled something within them. Mm. Uh, that's the pers- the person. Isn't that a carefully that. crafted package of his, though? It is. It is, absolutely. That's the personal issue. But the message is one that's been simmering for a long time. Donald Trump's message of America first and make America great again is one that still, I would venture to say, if you broke it down and and went issue by issue, still enjoys the the support, in in some cases, the overwhelming support uh, of Americans in, you know, especially uh, in the battleground states and in middle America. And that really is because uh, Americans are sick and tired, uh, number one, of foreign wars. Uh, where 
it's disproportionate a number of Americans get killed, where America's reputation around the world uh, is besmirched. And people say, for what? Why are we doing this? Donald Trump promised to end that in fairness to Donald Trump. He has kept the United States out of foreign wars. Mm. They're also sick of the internationalist bent of the political parties when it comes to things like trade deals, which have exported really good pay, really well-paid jobs from the United States overseas by people in political parties and political leadership who really don't have anything in common with the ordinary working class man or woman. Those are the things that Donald Trump rode to the presidency with. Um, those are the issues that still uh, hold sway. That's why he did so well. Uh, and I would suggest to you that um, if there is somebody, uh, the Republicans, it's strange that the Republican Party has found a home for this philosophy, is the home of this philosophy, because it's, it's discordant with history. But if um, somebody comes along with that message, who is a better messenger and less controversial me- messenger than Donald Trump, um, mm. it'll be very interesting to watch. What was interesting, Larry, the other night was, and I, I was watching the start of it on, on CNN, when they, rele- they released their exit poll at 10 or 11 p.m. our time, and straight away, out of the bag, top issue, the economy. I said at that point that Trump's going to have a better election than we think, because that was, that was his thing, wasn't it? The economy, the economy, the economy. Yeah, and, and see, what happened here was, uh, as I said, the, the, the opinion polls and the trajectory of this race were only going in one direction. And I, I think Trump probably hit his low point after that first debate uh, where he went crazy and he was way over the top. After that, Trump got back on message uh, and he performed much better and what was much more rational uh, in the second debate. And, and I think he won back a lot of uh, the soft Trump and persuadable voters in the final weeks. Uh, and one, one of the ways he did that was he distracted attention from what was his Achilles heel, that is the COVID crisis. He started to make the election uh, using his buzzwords, as he does so well, about anything and everything else. The idea that Democrats were socialists, Democrats are going to tax you into oblivion. Democrats are going to tamper with your uh, private health care plans that wealthy people really enjoy and have access to the best, best health care in the world. What's more, Democrats are, are going to allow uh, that inner city violence we see on the streets. They're going to bring it into your suburbs. All of those things worked really well. And it makes a lot of Republicans consider, had Donald Trump taken that tack earlier on, mm. instead of doing everything he could to alienate voters, all the voters, except for that day. Had, had COVID uh, not come, Larry, he'd be a slam dunk for a second term. I suspect that if COVID hadn't come on scene, that, that, that Donald Trump would be reelected. Yeah. Yes, I, I agree with that. Let's focus then briefly, and as a registered Democrat, and I don't know whether you know the man, uh, to tell us about the incoming, probably, President Biden. What can we expect? Well, look, Joe Biden is somebody I have a tremendous amount of respect for. I think most Americans, whether they voted for him or not, uh, wouldn't have anything bad to say about Joe Biden. Uh, my concern, like many uh, people's concern, is that he is an elderly man who is not the same man he was 10 years ago, not mm-hmm. the same man he was when he was Barack Obama's vice president. He'll be 82 uh, by the time the next election comes. Yeah, yeah well, I think it's, you know, he hasn't said as much, but it's almost a certainty that he will be a one-term president. Um, my hope for his presidency is I don't think he's, he, I, I think healing the division of the United States is going to take a lot longer than four years or one president. But what my hope for his presidency is that he will reintroduce civility uh, into civil into political discourse uh, in the United States, because we are at the brink right now. We're at a real moment of crisis uh, in the United States. Uh, I'd like to see Joe Biden collectively try to pull us back to the brink. And again, the reason he was selected as Democratic nominee was because he was he was deemed best best situated to reach out to people in middle America who are alienated. I hope he spends an awful lot of time doing that. Finally, and briefly, um, 
one man that played a huge part in his campaign was Barack Obama. And at a time when there is such, such severe racial tension across the United States, something that came up in a discussion over beer, the best place for these things to come up early in the year between a number of politically interested friends of mine. Perhaps if you were to bring Obama back into your cabinet, is that the slight, is that even remotely possible and make him responsible for race relations in America? Uh, I think it's I think it's a great idea. I don't think it'll happen because I think, uh, in particular, there's one person who's a big obstacle to all that, uh, and that's Michelle Obama. I think yeah. she would kill her husband if he got back involved in any way, remotely involved uh, with politics. I'd say she probably hated the fact that he was involved in this campaign. So I think it's a great idea. I think it could uh, he could actually do an awful lot of good in that front, but I don't think it's going to happen. Which means she'll never run for president. No, never. I mean, the reason that look, you know, the reason, uh, you know, Barack Obama, you know, didn't uh, bring on political talent, didn't do a whole lot of things was because uh, I think he was personally sick of politics. And I know his wife couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. <laughs> it's hard to blame her when you look at it. All right, Larry, thank you very much for your input. Uh, that's uh, Larry Donnelly. He's a Boston attorney based at the NUI Galway. Registered Democrat, but well able to tell both sides of the story. Thank you, Larry. John, you're an expat. I think you'd have been a bit of Biden voter, would you? Good morning. Oh, yeah. Yes. Did uh, you have a vote, by I, the way? I would vote for a, a watermelon before voting for Trump. I would vote for any... He, he's the most unfit person to serve as president. Did you I have a vote, the by history. the way, John? Yeah, it was um, early October. Okay. I sent it off. But my state, my home state, went overwhelmingly for Trump. So it's just a symbolic thing, you know. Um, yeah. So how do you feel about the the state of your... Well, I, I'm optimistic right now that, you know, Biden might win and, and kind of pull the country a little bit back together, you know, kind of take... But still, I'm disappointed that there wasn't like this mass awakening that kind of the polls might have predicted um, that was going to happen. Like, it was just a definite victory for Biden right on election night. You know, that would have been the ideal situation. But now, like, Trump's still in there, and he's going to be in there for until, you know, January regardless. And, you know, the damage that he's going to do, I, I just, you know, I'm just bracing myself for it. Yeah, are you I'm, worried I'm, I'm for not, the next six or seven weeks? Well, I'm, I'm not weeks. worried so much for my, yeah, for myself or my family even over there. I'm just more worried for this, the the country in general you know like there's it's almost like a sickness in the country on both sides they're they're, they're hating one another mm. and like they they've even like taking up arms and stuff it's just it's kind of spooky and surreal that it's happening yeah i'm talking to one of one of the u.s correspondents john recently just messaging the guy on whatsapp and he said scary as he walks to work to see yeah. shops and cafes that he'd normally you know he'd, he'd buy a sandwich on the way to work Boarded up. Yeah. Yeah. And you throw in a pandemic on top of it, you know, like, oh, man, it's it, it's scary. I think Biden will save a lot of lives if he comes into power, because I think he will listen to the scientists and there will be more, you know, emphasis mm-hmm. on let's let's deal with the, the real issue at the moment in humanity is this coronavirus stuff and get it done. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, hopefully bring the country back together a bit. Why, why do you think, John? Donald Trump got such an enormous vote because he did get an enormous vote. Yeah, it's the message, you know, the people who support him are nothing like him in real life. And if they met the man in real life, one on one happened upon him, they would have nothing in common with this guy. 
you know, but it's the message that he sh- that he sells, and he, he pits one side against an- another, and people don't see what he's doing himself. They don't judge him because he's saying what they want to hear, you know. And like and like this guy, this is a guy who's I think res- committing or has committed and has no problem committing the, all of the seven deadly sins in the Bible, but the Christian fundamentalists open their arms to him and to see him as some sort of hero, like, because he's going to save babies with this pro-life appointments to the Supreme Court. But, like, let's not judge, you know, it's it's kind of like, um, what is it, judge the messenger and, and, and don't judge the messenger, judge the message yeah. or what, something like that. You know, he's got, he's, he's confused them, I think, and a lot of people just aren't able to see him for what he is, how unfit he is as a person to be a president of the United States. Um, you know, he's a horrible example. How do I explain this to my boys? You know, like, hey, cheat, lie, and steal your way, and you will become president of the United States. You know, like, it's, how do you... Because isn't, uh, isn't that the American dream that we... we, uh, we yeah, every little boy and girl is brought up with the prospect that you can be the president. If you want to sure. be the president, you can be the sure. president. And now yeah. look at that. But it's not, you know, it's no longer, hey... You did a good job. You played the game well. It's win at all costs is like the message that he puts out. And so if you got to cheat to do that, then go ahead and do it, you know, and it's okay. Um, It's like, God, you just, I don't know. But I'm hoping for better days ahead. I really am. Um, We'll we'll know by the end of the day, I think, uh, what's happening. John, thank you very much for the call. Mathematically, mathematically, Trump could still win, but it's it's not going to happen. We're looking at President Biden and Vice President Harris, and that will probably be confirmed probably by tonight. 1857, you know, I'm almost afraid to predict it now because you never know, but we'll go with it. 1857-15996. During the last lockdown, I still had some great friends going into the house. It's not going to be any different this time around. Yeah, like, you really need the company when you're in lockdown. Friends are everything. They're my friends, so regardless of lockdown, isolating, distancing, whatever, like, we still be spending time together. I want you closer. At a time when we all need to socially distance. People are keeping Cork's 96FM really close. The power of local radio has never been more prominent. And here's the proof. 247,000 people listen to Cork's 96FM and C103 every week. Source, JNLR Ipsos MRBI 2023. Closer. Ken Tolden's got the tunes to get me through the day. I love Lorraine. She plays great music and she gives me all the gas. I want you closer. Be part of Cork's biggest social bubble. Stay listening to Cork's 96FM. Hashtag choose radio. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Coming up before we finish today, a message from two megastars about Christmas and that it'll be all all right. That's a message coming from two megastars before we finish today. Also, a book that I can only describe as gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I will be uh, talking to the author 
before we finish. But first of all, lovely little story in the Echo today. We're all trying to look back on 1920 and, you know, if we don't know the history of 1920, we should know the history of 1920 because it was so important for us here in Cork with McSweeney, with McCurtain. And one of the great ways to teach youngsters about history is bring them right into the heart of it bring them right in into the don't have them sitting at the desk reading from a book bring them out show them where things happened Sinead Moynihan is the Deputy Principal at Toko Boys National School which is exactly what you've done this week Sinead good morning good morning PJ how are you yeah, very good you brought the lads out and showed them the history of 1920 that's right, PJ. I suppose we were uh, studying we were studying local history in class, and I suppose we um, before the midterm break we actually uh, watched a documentary on Terence Maxweeney, and I suppose it enkindled in the boys a great interest in the War of Independence and in what was happening in Cork at the time. So when we returned after the midterm break, I suppose we were very conscious of the boys in school at the moment. You know, I suppose the regular and the usual things that we do in six class like go on bus trips maybe to visit Mitchellstown Cave or whatever none of that could actually happen in the current climate so I suppose we embraced what was on our doorstep and I suppose we wanted to mark the centenary of the momentous events in Cork um, including the deaths of Terence Maxweeney and Joe Murphy so I suppose we're very fortunate here in Toker in that we have a local historical association so um, we contacted them through the school and they were delighted to come on board with us. So um, Joe Murphy was one of the men involved in the rising in, in 1920 with Terence Maxweeney. Mm-hmm. And Joe died in hunger strike as well on the 25th of October 1920. Yeah. So Joe's uh, niece was actually in my class in primary school. And we contacted her name, is Shirley Kelleher. And Shirley was absolutely delighted to talk to the boys so we couldn't go on a bus, so we it was a beautiful sunny day on Wednesday, so we walked to St. Finbar Cemetery to the Republican plot, nice. um, both classes in their pods, and um, Shirley addressed the boys there, and Kathleen O'Keefe, a member of the local historical association, um, came as well and spoke to the boys. So the boys got a full understanding of uh, the the local history, I suppose. And uh, I suppose when you just, I mean, the lo- local history enables the students to investigate and I suppose to make the connections between the, the past and the present mm. and uh, to gain a great insight into it, especially into it on our doorstep. And I suppose we discovered um, the Historical Association supplied us with great articles as well. And um, there was art- an article we uh, explored on Joe Murphy himself and another man who was involved in John Joe Hagerty. Mm. So we were actually looking out the window of the school here and we were picturing Toker a hundred years ago when it was uh, bogland and woodland and these men were carrying out their manoeuvres, you know, where the school was built now. So um, the boys were absolutely, uh, you know, they that were makes it really real for them, doesn't it? It's, it's absolutely. Not, it's not, it's absolutely. not stuff in a book. It's This is, God, where I'm sitting now in my 
in by school. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I suppose another fact they were fascinated by was there's an estate up the road called Market Gardens and they discovered and um, we read that John Joe Hagerty was actually a market gardener and he used to take his produce into sell inside an Elizabeth Fort in Barrack Street and when he was in there he used to overhear um, the English talking and became aware of uh, you know what their plans might have been. So the boys, the comment they passed to me was they were absolutely astounded at him. They said imagine that they were able to do this without any technology or anything. Yeah. So they were astounded at their intelligence, I suppose, and their resilience. Yeah, no, It's great. It's a great idea and, and well done for coming up with it. And, and it's a super way to mark uh, that Absolutely. centenary. You know, we, we should all know more about 1920 and, and you're making a great effort to ensure that the, the, the youngsters do. Thank you very much for that. Sinead Moynihan, Deputy Principal at uh, Toker Boys National School. Nice piece actually by Amy Nolan in the Echo with photographs of them all out at the Republican plot and Shirley Kelleher telling them about the history uh, of Joe Murphy and, and everything that happened back in 1920. It's a great idea. It really is a great idea. 1850-715-996. Little bit of news. We'll do more about this on Monday, but I promised I'd mention it today. You'll remember that uh, Katrina Toomey was on me during the week. We are attempting to help Katrina to put together a little thing called the Mi- Miracle on Little Hanover Street for Christmas Day because the penny dinners can't obviously have anybody inside with COVID and all of that. So she wants to try to turn Little Hanover Street into an outside restaurant for the day that is Christmas Day so they can do their penny dinners, Christmas lunch. And it's all the offers of help are coming in and it will happen. It absolutely will happen. But in the, on the radio with me on, I think it might have been Tuesday or Wednesday, she said she'd love someone to help her put it together. She has all the bits and pieces in place, but she needs some kind of a coordinator, some kind of an event manager to help her put it together. I can tell you now, and we'll develop it on Monday, she's sorted. One of the best of the business has come on board. Everyone did different things during the lockdown. And this next guest of mine sat down and writ himself a book. John Creedon, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Before you go any further, I just want to say, you know I won those JNLRs fair and square. I won them bigly. And I just want i want you to retract your statement and I want you to recount. <laughs> you I'm, wonder, just, we'll we're just on the, we'll, on the box of some Tory. That's what we're doing now at the moment. We'll go to the, the Supreme Court on it, John. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> we will for the clack, you know, day out the day out, you know. <laughs> as, as long as I know you, John, and it's a long time, you have been fascinated yeah. with place names. You decided to put it into the form of a book, and the book called yeah. That Place We Call Home. Is that how it started, just looking for something to do in lockdown? Uh, no, not quite. I suppose it's been one of my passions. Uh, I have a huge draw for this, that and the other. Folklore, uh, League of Ireland football, hurling, place names, you name it. But place names certainly were kind of a huge part of my childhood. I grew up there in the inner city down the road from you. And, um, and uh, I mean, look, look at the place names I was surrounded by growing up in Cork City with all my roots in, in the West, in Gaelic Ireland, in, down in uh, Adragol and in Chigil and so on. And yet I was living on Coburg Street, Devonshire Street, Victoria, you know, Victoria Road, all those Victorian and Georgian names. And as you know, even they're contentious, you know. Mm. But my own feeling is that even though it may have been a sad chapter in Irish history, leave them. They're there as a, as a memory of, of what happened here and who we were and, and the people who stayed on. So, yeah, always curious about place names and um, particularly as... 
my mother and father's parts of the world are dotted with beautiful place names. I mean, like Drum Tariff, you know, the Hill of the Bull. There was actually a bull perhaps a thousand years ago stood in that hill munching daisies and the place became known as, you know, that place, the Hill of the Bull, Drum Tariff. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've Drum Tariff and you have a decent football team and everything there now. So so uh, all those places. Paul and Arrogate, that was only out the road from where I spent summers in Inchigila. And I remember saying to my cousin Willie John once upon a time, it's actually in the book, about uh, will we get two shovels and go out there? Paul and Arrogate, the whole of the money. Yeah. You know, and perhaps there was some treasure buried by monks or, or, or whatever the story was. Um, Paul and Arrogate was the place name. And that just fed my imagination as a child. So as I've travelled and I've been around the country now a thousand times, and um, everywhere I go, all 32 counties, I find, and I find the shadings as you move north, you know, from Cork, you know yourself when you're on the road, yeah. you find even the shop names, the O'Shea's, the Crowley's, the O'Sullivan's, they all melt away as you go up the country and then you hit things like Glynn and Morden around Galway and by the time you reach the border, it's McElhenney, McElhenney, McElhenney. And so it's all those cultural shadings around the country, over on Wexford, Waterford, huge Norman landings there, so the Delacy's, the, the Largies, the Poyer, Power, Walsh, all those names are all expected over there. So I just love looking at the different shadings as I go through an area and, and the different boards, like, for example, what we call Gorse or Furs. Yeah. By the time you reach Monaghan, it's Wynn. They don't know what Furs. They don't call it Furs, you know. So it's just those, I suppose, cultural shadings and the accents as you move around the country. I just love them. By the way, I think the Cork accent is probably the most popular. Everywhere I go, people say to me, oh, I love your accent, you know. <laughs> so, so, uh, so it's, it's all that really. And from childhood, it, it was bound to happen eventually. And I was asked several times, and um, and I, I've, I mean, as a youngster, I was writing all the time, but I had to get on with making a living and um, and raising four children and so on. But eventually, yeah. um, it was before lockdown. Actually, to be honest with you, it was. Um, I committed to it at the end of last year and put in like ten hour days on a Saturday, Sundays, everything else, and then. During the lockdown, I was um, I was doing the radio show, all right. But apart from that, it was um, at the desk yeah. with a wonky chair, just flaking it out, and yeah. managed to squeeze it all out and then rewrite and rewrite. So it was an interesting process for a first timer. It, it was a sobering experience. Yeah, <laughs> and so, then delighted. And, and it goes into great detail. And what I like about it is it's one of these books you can pick up and open at any particular page at any particular time and you'd find something. Like, I'm, I've just spun it open to pay exactly page 100 and leak slip. A, a place of awful... What the hell does that mean? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one, I have to say. Um, there are about five big waves, five or six big waves in Ireland. And as our history goes, so go our place names. So the earliest ones from mythological times, they're in languages that we don't even understand anymore. They're now obsolete. We can't tell what the place means. Then you had the Celts, and um, as they settled and we started, there were nearly all landscape names, first of all, mountains, rivers, Canuck, Schlieve, Schlieve Moor. Carrick Dove, you know, Black Rock, all those very simple kind of landscape ones. As we settled as farmers, the Kents did, and we built our own structures, there was the occasional word like, um, maybe not Druid, but Carn, meaning a grave, you know, a mound of stones, and on it went. But the Vikings, their footstep or their footprint on the place name map of Ireland is actually quite nice. It's mostly around the coast. And because they didn't want to culturally break us down and rebuild us in their own image, as did the New English saying from William times, the Vikings only wanted to rob us. So they'd say, in, they'd say what's the name of your town, kid? It's, a, it's, it's, it's called Cork. Grand, we're going to rob it. And they'd rob it and clear off. So they didn't really try to colonize and rename places. But 
around the coast, places like Tusker Rock, which means Jagged Tooth in Old yeah. Norse, because they didn't know what the place was called, they had to give those places names. Ireland's Eye, anything ending in EY, is Ireland in Old Norse. So Ireland's Eye was basically where you turn right for Ireland when you're coming down the Irish Sea. Um, Lamb Bay, with the EY, means Lamb Island. Dorsey Island off the west coast of Cork is Bull Island. So when they landed and they hung a right there at Ireland's Eye and up the Liffey, where fresh water, and we did this on a TV show about 10 years ago, but it all ties in, where the first bit of fresh water reaches the, the, the blackish water of the Liffey is up there by the forecourts. It's directly across from the forecourts, the puddle, yeah. the freshwater stream that runs out there through the key wall nowadays in modern Dublin. But that's where they found their first sweet water. So they pitched camp there, and there began the story of Dublin. But once they had settled there, they said, we'll have an old gander upstream now and see what we can find. So up the Liffey they went, and they found a place where there was a kind of a natural salmon weir, a salmon leap, and they called it Latch Halup. <laughs> There's old North Nokia. Yeah. Latch, hello. Thanks be to God, you're not room sharing with me anymore, PJ. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I should explain, by the way, I'm talking about our trip to, uh, to Israel. Indeed, yes, my but, goodness me. <laughs> anyway, so Latch, hello, translates as salmon leap. And that, that kind of slid, not translated, but transliterated into English as leak slip, leak slip. Okay, let's call it leak slip, leak slip, whatever. I think it's fine. Sounds easier. <laughs> so, so what happened then? The Irish um, gave it its proper name. They translated it. And in Oscoega, it's Leamon Rodain, the leap of the salmon. So, like, there's, there are stories. Once you lift the lid on some of our place names, there are tremendous stories. And, and then some of them, they just... Come closer to home. Another one that I've often wondered yeah. about is Mogili. Ah, uh, you know what? In many ways, Mogili was probably the key to the television series because I'd been saying this to RT for for a while. They had asked me what I wanted to do, and I said, "Look, folklore, the human condition, the Irish, Ireland. I love being Irish. I'm not chauvinistic about it, but I love it. I love being from Cork, but I fully understand why people from Sligo love Ben Bulban. I just love place. So I was lucky, really lucky that." Um, they went with it and it seemed to work. But eventually, what swung the place names thing for me, because I kept on saying, lads, place names are going to be the new genealogy. Um, once you start drilling into them, they're fascinating. Like Toker in Cork, it means a causeway. That was a kind of a raised road through boggy land around the edge of what is now the city. And you look at it now, it's a raised carriageway again. So... The Toker, um, Australia, that's what it means. It means a raised roadway or, or a carriageway. And that's pretty much what it is. It, it could be a defensive causeway too. But anyway, the one you asked me about, Mogili, I was down in, um, I was heading to Waterford or someplace, but I was coming through near Mogili. And there was, there was flooding, so there was delays on the road. And uh, Maraid said to me, what does Mogili mean? I said, Jesus, Maraid, I don't know everything, but take out the folklore and we'll crack the code while we're waiting. So we have a little dictionary in the uh, in the glove box, and I guess the first part that anything with a ma in it, like mallow or mayo, is the floodplain of the yew trees. Ma is the floodplain, basically flat, low Hi. grassland through which a river will obviously uh, gravitate. You know, so Mogili, Moy Cullen in Galway is the floodplain of Quillen, which is holly. So the floodplain is the holly, and it still is to this day. As you drive through it; it's all holly and skinny cows. But anyway. Ma Geely. I said the Ma bit is probably a floodplain, but the Geely bit, try G, I for the L E, try G, we couldn't get it, and eventually I, I thought, try D, I for the L E, 
to see what that is because it could be more healer, you know, with the shavu stuff. Yes, 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 yes. And she said, uh, dealer is a flood. I said, right. So the translation of the place name is the floody floodplain. And we're wondering where we're stuck in the traffic jam behind the puddle of water, right? <laughs> so, so, so there's actually information in the place names. And right. so my advice to anyone before you bid the bungalow, check. Look at the, the look at the, the place uh, name. Mogi- and of course, what do we have winter after winter? We've, we've flood problems in Mogili. John, I won't even go into Hackball's Cross. People have to Please buy don't. the book. People have to buy the book for that one. <laughs> I, you, you know what I did? I, and I thought, even though I say this to myself, it's, it's a very, very cute marketing ploy. No, but I did put the, um, a glossary at the back because I thought this is what I always wanted in my glove box because the Irish are rediscovering Ireland it would have seen, seen this summer and with the 5k lockdown people have become curious about place names and so with the glossaries just all the keywords like Canuck Schlieve uh, Balia meaning valley, meaning town uh, Bioke Beg Moor you know so it's all the keywords for breaking down uh, place names as you go and then as a notion I stuck in about 12 lined pages at the very back. You'll probably see them there. You're filling your own where ones. Can actually, very good. Yeah, where people can gather and log their own local names. John, so as, as you well know in this business, time, tide and commercials wait for no man. So, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> grand boy, I need to leave you go. We'll catch Thanks up for a point the next time we're allowed. Talk to you soon. One of the days. Cheers. The great John Creedon. The book is called The Place We Call Home. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.